As a professional photographer, I like to share my images on social media and other outlets. Most everyone can find my images at TV510 on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and on YouTube. However, sharing them doesn't mean that someone can use them without giving me some sort of remuneration, be it payment or at least, at the very least, credit for taking a photograph. That's where copyright laws come into effect. In this episode, which is a bit of a departure from what I usually talk about here on this podcast, I'm going to give you a few tips on how to protect your images and how copyright laws can protect the photographer. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Nature Photography Podcast. This is your host, Terry Vanderheiden. I was prompted to do an episode on copyright when my niece, Ashley Carlosio, a professional photographer herself, alerted me to the latest Supreme Court ruling in favor of photographer Lynn Goldsmith against the world-renowned artist Andy Warhol. This all started back in 1980 when Newsweek commissioned photographer Lynn Goldsmith to photograph the artist Prince. She did, and then in 1984, Vanity Fair magazine hired Warhol to create an art piece of Prince for a separate article. At the time, Goldsmith was paid $400, and that was to allow Andy Warhol to use one of her photographs for a reference point for his artwork. Fast forward to 2015, Prince dies from an accidental fentanyl overdose. Then in 2016, Condé Nast Magazine, which runs Vanity Fair Magazine, decides they want to do an article about Prince, and they use the Andy Warhol art in the magazine. They paid the estate of Andy Warhol, but didn't pay anything to the original photographer, Lynn Goldsmith. A copyright lawsuit was filed and then was finally resolved last month as it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The court decision was 7-2 in favor of the photographer, Lynn Goldsmith. Andy Warhol made a career of sampling photographs for the basis of his art. One of his most popular, a silkscreen image of Marilyn Monroe, where he sampled a publicity photo from Marilyn Monroe's movie Niagara from 1953. These were a group of five similar portraits that the artist created as a silkscreen art piece based on an original photograph. The title of these five portraits, called The Marilyns, went through a name change back in 1964. The story goes that Warhol had a performance artist, Dorothy Podber, over to his studio. While browsing the Warhol studio, she asked if she could shoot some of his paintings. When Warhol said yes, he was thinking that she wanted to shoot, as in make photographs of his paintings. What happened next was, in short, just bizarre. Podber took off her white cotton gloves, reached into her purse, and whipped out a revolver and literally put a bullet between the eyes of a stack of the Maryland originals. After Warhol repaired the silkscreen art pieces, he renamed them the Shot Marylands. As it turns out, one of the images, the Shot Sage Blue Maryland, sold last year for $195 million. However, the question remains, is the original photographer entitled to some of the compensation for an image that was created from original photograph as far as the publishing world is concerned. And the Supreme Court says yes. 
I'm a full-time professional photographer, and I've had some dealings with copyright infringement on my own images over the years. While I'm not a copyright attorney, here's what I've gathered as a photographer. The second you snap the photograph in your camera, you own the copyright to that image. I take the step of embedding a copyright in the file by putting information into my camera before I shoot. All cameras are different, but in the Nikon cameras under the settings, there's a place to put in copyright. Mine says, Copyright Terry Vanderheiden, 2023, all rights reserved. The year is important to have on the copyright, so every January I get out all my cameras and change the year of the copyright that gets embedded into every file. Next is the registration of your copywritten images. You can do this by visiting the U.S. Copyright Office at the Library of Congress online and register your images. Now, there are places that will do the filing for you for an extra fee, but simply going to the government site and filling out all the information is really the cheapest way to go. The timing of this registration is interesting. If you have a group of images you plan to publish or send to magazines for publication, you can register the group of images all at the same time. The group of images has to be less than 750 images. Or you can also register one image at a time if you like. However, if you have images that were used by someone that was unauthorized, you can still go back to the Library of Congress website and register those images even after the violation has occurred. Remember, you own the copyright as soon as you snap the photo. In fact, you theoretically own the copyright to that image even if you shot it with someone else's camera. You shot the image, you own the copyright. The Library of Congress allows you to upload digital files in the form of JPEG, GIF, or TIFF. And the current cost for a group of images is $55. Now, since you can register up to 750, that's not very expensive on a per-image basis. Now, the website's a little clunky, but it works, and it's fairly easy to use. You do have to name each of your photographs, but you do have up to 1,995 characters to use when it comes to photograph titles. Once you fill out all the information and pay, you'll get some confirmation that your images are going through the process. Sometime later, you'll get notified that your images are now registered in the Library of Congress. So how does this help the photographer? Years ago, I had one of my images pop up on a telephone book advertisement. Ironically, it was being used as an advertisement for another photographer out of my area. I found out about it in a pretty strange way. I had a friend of mine who was visiting this other area and he had a need to open up a phone book for some reason. Under photographers, he noticed one of my images. Another photographer was using my images to advertise his photography business. When he got back, he told me about it and so I had to do some investigating. Once I found the advertisement, and yes, indeed it was one of my photographs, I thought that it was really odd that another photographer would not want to use their own photographs to advertise their work, but instead they used mine. Kind of flattering, but also kind of weird. I then registered that image with the Library of Congress. Once I got confirmation it was registered, I went to the work of seeking out who was responsible. Through a long drawn out story, it turned out that the producers and salespeople of the phone book itself we're using images from other areas as essentially a free clip art to assemble advertisements in other areas. I guess they figured they'd never be found out. 
And except for the off chance that one of my friends who knew my work saw it and told me about it, they would have been right. I would have never known anything about it. I tried contacting the company with letters and calls and got nowhere. I had to eventually hire a copyright attorney to have him send a letter and his letter was met with complete compliance and a settlement. The letter at the time cost me about a hundred bucks to defend my copyright, but it was worth it in the end. The original copyright law was created back in 1790, in part by our first president, George Washington. It provided protection over things like maps, charts, and books at the time. Washington's quote when addressing Congress about adopting a national copyright law said, There is nothing which can better deserve your patronage than the promotion of science and literature. Copyright at the time was designated to last 14 years before the artist would have to reapply. This was extended to 28 years by President Andrew Jackson in 1831. And then in 1865, President Lincoln extended copyright to cover photographs. Copyright was then revisited at the urging of President Teddy Roosevelt in 1909, where he was concerned that the copyright process was burdensome on the creators to have them keep renewing their works. So the law was changed to 56 years of coverage. That lasted all the way up to 1976, where then-President Gerald Ford signed the current Copyright Act law in that October of 1976. Any work created after January of 1978 would have coverage for the lifetime of the creator, plus 50 years. In 1998, the Senate amended the Copyright Act to last for 70 years after the death of the author of the work. This was known as the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act. Sonny Bono was a popular singer-songwriter in the 70s and 80s, along with Cher. The Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour was one of the most popular variety acts on television at the time. Later on in life, Sonny was elected to Congress in California in 1995. There, he revamped the copyright laws, and Congress passed the law, and it went into effect in 1998. That went into effect nine months after Sonny was killed when he was fatally injured after running into a tree while downhill skiing. Copyright has come a long way, and it's in place for your protection of your images that you create. While you may feel like you're protecting yourself by adding, say, a watermark to images that you post to social networks, it's not really doing any good for your copyright. There's a fair amount of people who think that it's okay to copy images off the internet and use them as they see fit. But that is not the case. Every image is owned by someone. If there's something you want to post on your site, don't just copy and paste it. Reach out and ask permission of the artist. This applies to music, writing, video, and any other art forms. It all has a copyright owned by someone. Remember, you've earned the copyright as soon as you snap the photograph. You can defend your copyright if the image is registered with the Library of Congress. And now, copyright lasts your whole life, plus 70 years. I know this wasn't like my usual podcast, but I figured it might help some photographers down the road. I'll get back to the nature talk next time. If you like this kind of content, tell a friend or leave a review in your podcast player. Now, I'd love a five-star review, but if you think it should be less, send me an email and let me know how I can improve it. You can always reach out to me on my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com or on social media at 
TV510. That handle works for YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. So you can reach out to me there. Thanks for listening to the Nature Photography Podcast. Until next time, this is Terry Van Ryden.